Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Friday, October the 6th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics Podcast Wrap of the Week from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Pat Leahy and Cormac McQuinn are here to look back at the political week that was in it. Hello to you both. Hello, Hugh. Hi, Hugh. Pat, it's budget, 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 budget all the way this week. Yeah, still ongoing insofar as we can discern Lead story this morning suggesting that there's quite a bit yet to be done. Now, this isn't completely out of the ordinary in that departments often hold out to the last minute before agreeing their settlements. But I am told from people who are, I regret to say, being extremely tight-lipped, but who are also part of that process, is that it's especially tight uh, this year, that despite the vast resources that are at the government's disposal. The rate of inflation and the effect that that has had on what is called the existing level of service. So without getting too bogged down in budget technicalities... Oh, no, get, bogged, depart- get, get as bogged as you want, Pat. Oh, very good. OK, right. We'll see you in a couple of hours, folks. So each department will make a pitch for uh, its budget for next year. And as part of that, it will have... When I say make a pitch, it will make it to the Department of Public Expenditure. And that was a process that would have happened over recent weeks between exchanges and, and so forth. And then there is at least one sit-down budget bilateral meeting in which they try and trash it out. But a key part of that is that they will... Um, the, the, the spending department, so health or education, justice, uh, whatever, um, they will have a number for preserving the existing level of service, or in budget jargon, the ELS, right? And so that is, so, you know, the, the, the Department of Health, for instance, doesn't decide, you know, at the start of every year how it's going to spend its, whatever it is, going to be next year, 26 billion or so. It, uh, it has an awful lot of that money that it spends doing the same things year on year. Preserving the existing level of service is basically a no policy change uh, standpoint. And the rate of inflation, etc., has meant that that existing level of service means preserving that existing level of service is a lot more expensive next year. So even though a department's budget might be going up, it's not actually doing anything new and it's not doing any of the new things that its ministers want to announce and that its, mid, uh, its ministers are, um, are, are pushing for. So that relatively tight spending round and the tight budgetary rein on that spending round um, being about $5.3 billion across all the departments in additional current recurring spending next year. That is spread across all the departments. And when you consider that there's going to be a 1.1 billion overspend in health this year and an ELS number in health, that is, I gather, something in the region of seven, 800 million euros next year, 
All of that means that actually the scope for new spending on new policies that ministers love so much and want to announce next week is very limited. And that's why it's taking such a long time to agree the settlements with the Department of Public Expenditure. There's a, there's a thing I wonder about that, and I'll put it to you, Cormac, and Pat, if you want to come back in on this, that's abs- absolutely fine, which is, you know, for the first time in a, in a generation or more, for the first time in the living memory of the majority of people in this country, we're, in a, we're, we're living in a society that is experiencing quite high levels of inflation. And obviously that affects everybody, and it affects government departments and government expenditure as well. It's coming down a bit, I think, as of September... It's at about 5% or thereabouts, and that's a good deal lower than it was a, a year ago. But I would have thought, uh, in my uh, innocence, that that then washes across all the kinds of elements which are being looked at in this budget, both on the expenditure and the income side. Incomes will have gone up and tax rates will have increased. Uh, prices in the shops will have gone up and VAT uh, returns will have increased. And so that that needs to be factored in almost in a separate way from what Pat has just been describing, rather than just eating up nominal increases, which end up being not being increases at all, as he's saying. But as I say, maybe I'm just being over-innocent about yeah, this. Well, no, it's, it's certainly the repeated uh, assertion from senior members of government is that they don't want to add to inflation with any of the measures that they do. So that's, that's something that they're taking into account. They also have to take into account then that things that they do do to put money back into people's pockets that will it have any impact at all given the, the remaining inflation level? So that's why you see, you know, measures like the, the minimum wage going up. Uh, Taoiseach was talking earlier this week about how it, it's likely to, to go up above the rate of inflation, you know, that sort of thing. But but they're, they're still small enough measures in the scheme of things. And, um, you know... <laughs> It's it's certainly yeah the the whole inflation thing has has certainly been a, a big uh, consideration as, as we as we approach this budget. I, I kind of even doing the rounds today so far, you know, got a lot of lot of responses back of uh, nothing decided yet, nothing decided, nothing decided yet. Do you believe them? Well, to an extent, I, I do know at this stage in previous budget cycles, there, there would have been a lot more nitty gritty detail, you know, in the ether. So far, we, we've so far, I mean, there's there is some detail. This thus far, but there's a lot of broad stroke stuff as well. So we know, we know there's going to be uh, tax cuts, income tax cuts. Um, you know, most likely in the form of changing the bands at which people enter the higher rate of tax. So they're not really income tax cuts. Oh, sorry, I'm I'm harping on about this. They're well, not really well, income tax, tax cuts. They're, they're inflation related adjustments to tax. Sure, uh, but there, there the will also be a, there's also expected to be a, a cut in the USE rate. Sure. Um, okay. So uh, then there's the, the kind of there will be social protection, you know, welfare increases weekly to the weekly payment, looking at at least 10 euro, most likely 12 euro to match last year's last year's thing, you know, last year's increase. But there's few, few enough details about those sort of measures so far, which generally do sur- surface at this point, uh, uh, this close to a, to a budget. So I just wonder if there are, there are some jitters among some ministers as to what they will achieve a- ahead of ahead And of so the, the big dynamic day. of it here is, is there a potential danger for departments or specific government ministers if they're seen to be spinning? Um, ahead of ahead of the announcement or leaking, you know, leaks are, are 
fingers are being pointed, you know. Sure, well, it's all, that's always the uh, the risk, particularly with uh, Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath wielding the, the ultimate say in a lot of these things. Having said that, uh, parties will always want to claim credit for for parts of the budget that they that they are particularly focused on. So, you know, while the the, the dam may not have burst yet in terms of, of leaks of what's coming in the budget, um, you know, there, there, there's been a couple of cracks and uh, I'd be very surprised if over the next couple of days we don't start getting a lot more detail as things are finally signed off on. And I know, Pat, that yourself and Cormac and the rest of the political team are busy with your chisels and your hammers on those cracks trying to turn them into turn them into floods. Do you anticipate much or do we, are we still going to get a pretty freshly baked and surprising cake on Tuesday? Look, I think the experience of recent budgets has been that by the time you get to Tuesday, the vast majority of it has been got out into the public domain, either through leaks or well-informed speculation. And I'd be surprised if we, you know, if we don't see that uh, again. Uh, I don't wish to make any promises that I can't keep to the Irish Times news desk, but we'll certainly be... Uh, don't worry, they're not trying. <laughs> we'll certainly be trying to do our fair share on that. I mean, I, I think it's often the challenge, you know, after weeks of trying to figure out what's in the, in the budget and you know, trying to explain the hundreds of small measures that together comprise the announcements that'll be made on uh, on Tuesday. I think it's it's also part of our job to kind of take a step back and try and see what it means on a sort of a wider plane, you know, what it says about the direction that the government is uh, is taking, what it says about their, you know, much advertised commitment to prudence, uh, but also their determination to put more money back in people's pockets. And of course, it will do both of those things. And um, I, I, was, I was writing the other day in a piece that I can, I can promise you that Michael McGrath and Pascal Donoghue will come out onto the steps of government buildings on Tuesday morning and they will say that, you know, we have got the balance right. But I suppose it'll take, you know, those of us who are looking at these things from a neutral point of view, a bit of time to try and assess just the nature of that balance and, uh, and, and really where this budget sits in terms of the long-term economic strategy of this government and of the country uh, as, uh, as a whole. I mean, you know, you and I, Hugh, I guess, have been looking at budgets for, uh, for a long, long time. And, you know, I was there, my, when I first started as a political reporter, my first budgets were the, you know, the latter budgets of Charlie McCreevy. It wasn't there for the early ones, it was there for the latter ones. And then they turned the taps on of of, uh, of Brian Cowan. And then the budgets that Cormac, being a little bit younger, not all that much, but a little bit younger, probably remembers. He's as, a lot younger, you know, the, aus- the austerity, the austerity uh, budgets um, of, you know, 2008 until when, 2013, uh, 2014. So, you know, I, I, I would say if there is to be, if I was to give any indication of what I, I would like to see uh, in in this budget, it's not so much about in individual measures, it's a more sustainable, longer term strategy that is, I guess, the opposite of what McCreevy used to say, which was, you know, when I have it, I spend it. Absolutely. And don't you know, have it, I don't. And everyone, I'm sure we had Pascal Donoghue in only a few weeks ago talking about avoiding that boom-bust cycle and all those kinds of things. Because the reality is, isn't it, on Cormac, Cormac, that on, on Tuesday we're going to get some modest tax adjustments, some modest tax cuts. They'll probably be 
10% or so of the overall package. You'll have generous, but not as generous as last year, supports for people who are suffering the effects of, of inflation with utility bills. You'll get modest increases in, in social welfare. You'll get provision for some kind of a modest public pay uh, increase like next year to reflect inflation. And there'll be some commitment, but nothing over the top to some of the other key programme for government objectives around areas such as childcare. Yeah, I mean, Miriam Lord had a piece during the week where she said uh, the budget will have something for everyone in the audience, but uh, the Taoiseach cannot say what, which probably sums up what will be in the budget, but also the current uh, pre-budget speculation and and lack of concrete information that has been out there thus far. Um, Yeah, look, at recent budgets have given something to everyone in the audience a little bit. Nobody ends up being thrilled by it, I suppose, uh, but but everyone gets something. There is, I suppose they've been a particular kind of a pattern of budget, haven't they, in the COVID and immediate post-COVID years, where you had this focus on once-off supports during the pandemic itself, and that continued into this inflationary period. So this this move towards the one-off payment as opposed to the commitment forever. Yeah, and, and the inflation, of course, then blunts the impact of any of the, the measures that they, they bring in. Uh, so, I mean, the danger with those kinds of budgets, I suppose, is in the absence of one big measure for a particular group of people, uh, you know, you, you end up really pleasing nobody in the end. But, uh, you know, they, it, it paid off for them last year. They got a bump in the opinion polls when the when the cost of living measures were announced. Uh, you know, they, they'll surely be hoping for something similar this year as, we, as we're much closer to an election than, than we were previously. What part do you think then, that for a last point on this before we move on, what do you think the electoral calculation is within the government parties and within Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael in particular that the outcome of this relatively modest, avowedly prudent budget is going to be? Yeah, I mean, as Cormac says, I think they'll be hoping for, you know, that there is some payoff as measured by the, the opinion polls, but also that they will want to kind of, I, I think, set the foundations for an election strategy. I mean, my guess is that there will be another budget before the next election, but, um, uh, but you know, there might not be. And uh, I think if you look back to last year, what we saw is that there was a modest enough bump, very modest, really, bump for the... I was looking back at the numbers recently. Very modest bump for the government parties and for the government as a whole uh, after, uh, after the budget. But that was at a time when there was immense pressure on uh, on people through cost of living increases. And if you look what happened, you know, to other governments, you look what happened to the UK government at the time when its, when its popularity completely collapsed because people were being squeezed by cost of living increases and the perception there was that the government didn't care or wasn't doing enough about it. Or in fact, in the, uh, in the case of Liz Truss, was making things an awful lot worse. So I think the government was playing against a headwind last year and uh, and and certainly within government, the perception was that last year's budget was a political success. I would think they would look for more of that this year, but also to enable them to, as I say, put in the foundations for an election message that will be based, I think, very very heavily 
on economic competence and on sensible stewardship of the economy. It's it's perhaps the opposite of that message, uh, but I, I kind of I recall the, to go back to the McCreevy budgets of the the early noughties, I think it was it was two thousand and two that the the SSIA scheme was announced, where why you get a, a chunk of money on top of whatever savings you have, and it, and people started getting payouts just in advance of the the two thousand and seven general election, which which greatly helped Fianna Fáil return to power uh, this week complete speculation on my part now but it would be kind of interesting to see if if this budget times any any measures or any one last once off measures for just before the local and european elections next year as a as a little reminder that of the the government's largesse and and uh, maybe a, a little encouragement to people to to vote for the, the current coalition parties uh, so the the timing of all of these uh, budget changes can can often be interesting uh, and we have seen phased uh, things introduced in previous years so it, it's something maybe Maybe a little little spot of stroke stroke politics. Such cynicism in one so young. Now, moving on, Cormac, you're writing today about Brendan Howland. He's the latest in in what seems to be a kind of a a long line of TDs over the last last few months. Most of them from Fine Gael, it should be said, but Brendan Howland, uh, former Labour Party leader, veteran politician, served in several, several different governments. He's stepping down as well, and you talk to him. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. We've we've already had Richard Bruton and Charlie Flanagan, I suppose, two two high profile Fine Gael politicians who who have said they won't contest the next general election. Uh, Brendan Howland has has made a similar decision now. Um, he he says it's as a result of you know he's he's been forty one years in politics. He's he's reached retirement age. He's done all of the things that he believes he can achieve in in politics. You know, he's 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 been a minister on a number of occasions. Minister for Health in the the Fianna Fáil Labour government, the early nineties. Uh, environment in the Rainbow Coalition, and and most crucially, most most importantly, uh, the first minister for public expenditure during the the uh, the post two thousand eight crash years, uh, the, the the Fine Gael Labour government from twenty eleven, uh, which which he of course sees as his, his proudest period in politics, given given that they they came into came into power when Ireland was an economic basket case. It was under the the remit of the uh, the the Troika. Uh, you know, economic sovereignty was lost, and uh, within I suppose just over over two years, they had gotten rid of the the Troika, and uh, the the path to recovery was 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 set out, albeit with great pain for for a lot of people, given the the austerity budgets that were brought in over over those years. So, and it's know, a cloud that still hangs over the Labour Party. Well, uh, he he readily admits that he, he says he says Labour has not recovered uh, from from that era um you know he's he's he has to be confident that they they will recover their fortunes in future but but There's not uh, much sign of it there, there isn't and and Interestingly, and it's a, it's an we've a broader interview being published online this afternoon, uh, but he's he's quite clear in his belief that there will ultimately be a merger between Labour and uh, the Social Democrats. He said something along the lines of if if their policies are added and history is the only only difficulty preventing it, he could see that being overcome, and uh, you know. That that would create a, a more critical mass for a, for a social democratic um, wing of Irish politics that that would probably return to levels that Labour once once had, you know. Um, so you know the, 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 the wide ranging interview. He talks about the dark times post crash, where you know there was concerns that the euro collapsed. There was talk of of. Uh, Runs on the banks, freezing, freezing bank withdrawals, returning to the punt. Um, you know there was the the, the danger around the liquidation of IBRC, uh, various various uh, kind of dark dark uh, moments very, from very, our from dramatic, our recent very history, dramatic very dramatic as well. Dramatic as well mm. Yeah, so you know, and then 
a lot about the, the vitriol directed towards politicians more recently, but also how, you know, he's, he's experienced that over the decades too. You know, as, as Minister for Health, he was he had uh, children's coffins being delivered to his home as he as he as he was working on legislation involving information around abortion. You know, he had he had experiences during the the his time at public expenditure where he was threatened. He was surrounded once once in a very menacing way in a in a restaurant in Dublin, had to be escorted to the basement by the management. You know, lots of lots of things like that. Uh, he, he he believes social media uh, has been a game changer, though, in terms of increasing the vitriol. He describes it as a, as a, as a jungle and uh, says it's very difficult to encourage people into politics. Um, I, d- I don't think it's connected, but on a, on a tangent, he, he mentioned that... Uh, in terms of any future political decisions or intentions he might have, he he once shared an office as a senator with with two future presidents, Mary Robinson and uh, Michael D. Higgins. Uh, but he he shares no such uh, ambitions to follow their path and seek seek election to Orson in, in twenty twenty five. He, he he says he doesn't believe he could bring the kinds of things that that Michael D. Higgins has brought to the office. But uh, but you know, as an outside observer. Who you know th- those sorts of campaigns are are incredibly uh, personal. They're incredibly difficult, and uh, you know wh- why would you want it? Uh, you know if you're if you're considering retiring, uh, you've done your time in politics. You know why would you want to go back into the to the fray in that in that sense? Pat, we've discussed the Finnegale resignation. Some of which I think were just kind of what you might call natural wastage. People arrive at a stage in their life. Some of them may have been affected by when the constituency revisions came out. Brendan Howland, I think, told you, Cormac, that that was not an issue. The fact that the Wexford constituency is being sure, being yeah. split in half and expresses confidence. I'm not sure how well placed that is that Labour can hold that seat. We'll see that in the fullness of time. But it is a fact, isn't it, that. Um, Labour, with a much smaller number of TDs, is really imperiled going into the next election. There's this kind of generational change. There might be one or two others who, who who might choose not to run. And the general wisdom seems to be that more than the Social Democrats, which Cormac referred to there, Labour's seats in terms of where they are and the shapes of the constituencies are under greater threat at the next election. Yeah, look, all small parties are under threat at the next uh, election. In many cases from Sinn Féin, but not exclusively so, and that does seem to apply. The bounce of the ball has not been kind for Labour. And, you know, actually, actually, I think they, there is, they have a chance of holding that seat in, uh, in Wexford, I think. They've got a strong vote in, in Wexford Town. It's down to a four-seater. Uh, and uh, I think it's not beyond the bounce of possibilities that they, that they hold that seat. But in general, they are facing a couple of really uphill battles. Sean Sherlock obviously has a decision uh, to make in Cork East or Cork Northwest. More generally, the Labour Party, it's right, the Labour Party hasn't recovered from that period in government 2011 to 2016, during which I think, actually, albeit that I used to fight like cats and dogs with his staff quite a lot during that period and some of them didn't really appreciate the coverage of, uh, of, of that government. But I think that Howland was probably the best minister in that government at a terribly difficult time. Um, and, you know, if you accept, once you accept that the, the bailout was going to happen and, you know, we could have an argument that would go on for a long time about whether there's, you know, Ireland should have accepted a bailout or whether it should have defaulted on its debts. Yeah, I can, I can try and get Fintan O'Toole on the line right now if you want, Pat. Yeah, no. it, yeah. Would he be up? Would he be up in Princeton <laughs> right now? Um, but accepting that the government, the previous one and that government decided that it would accept the bailout, that it wouldn't try the a very sharp 
fast adjustment in the national finances, that it would spread that adjustment over a couple of years. There was always going to have to be extremely difficult things done by that government. And I think that Howland in the Department of Public Expenditure was probably the most able of, uh, of, of those ministers. I often wonder if Labour's... Eamon Gilmore, leader, resigned halfway through that government. If Labour hadn't been a bit more robust in its defence of the things that it did in government, would it maybe have come out of that slump quicker? Right now, I agree with uh, Howland that there isn't really a future, and I'd be interested to read Cormac's interview in full, but I, if, if, if I understand what he is paraphrasing him to say, that you know there isn't really a future for an independent Labour party without some sort of at least an alliance with the Social Democrats and more probably an alliance with the broader centre, non-Sinn Féin left, because certainly it's hard to see a future for them as a, as a, you know, a series of micro uh, parties, which is probably what they will be uh, after the next election. You can read Cormac's uh, in-depth interview with Brendan Howland on irishtimes.com, but you can only do that if you're a subscriber to irishtimes.com and you can read all our political coverage in the run-up to the budget and afterwards. If you are a subscriber, just go to irishtimes.com slash subscribe. We'll be right back after this. Now, Pat, Keir Starmer, leader of the UK Labour Party, was um, putting his oar in about, uh, about Irish unity. I remember a time when um, the Labour Party uh, was in favour, was actively in favour of the reunification of the island of Ireland. But I think that, that came to an end with Tony Blair. Well, it temporarily came through an end with Tony, Tony Blair, who was, you know, I suppose, maybe since Gladstone, the greatest prime minister of the UK that Ireland uh, ever had, but um, but it, it 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 sort of restarted again with um, Jeremy Corbyn when he was leader of the Labour Party, uh, who um, who was very much in uh, in favour of uh, of United Ireland. I think Keir Starmer is very different. He said that you know questions about any referendum on a United Ireland were absolutely hypothetical. I'm reading from Jack Powers front page piece in our paper today, quoting Starmer saying, I don't think we're anywhere near that kind of question. It's not even on the horizon, uh, which is what Starmer said to the BBC yesterday. And, uh, you know, there was some reaction, um, I think, from pro-United Ireland uh, campaigners, not best pleased, obviously. It had been their hope, I think, many of them, that a Labour government, which is what we seem almost certain to have after the next British general election, which will probably take place next year, would have a much more facilitatory approach to uh, to a border poll. But, you know, as all the polling, and we've talked about this before, all the polling, including the polling that we've done ourselves as as, as part of our North and South project last year, suggests that there is no sign of a majority uh, in favour of uh, of a united Ireland uh, in 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 the north. So, and until such time as that is the case, then no British government, I guess, is going to call a referendum. And under the Good Friday Agreement, it is the responsibility of the British government to call that border poll in the south. One presumes that it would follow some degree of consultation, at least with. Dublin, but it's a decision under the agreement for the British Secretary of State for Northern Ireland. And it's a decision that he or she can only make when they view uh, that a referendum would be likely to, to, to pass. And there's just no sign of those numbers now. My view, there won't be for quite some time, um, 
and uh, and so I think it's kind of um it's kind of a, a a dose of 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 reality and maybe we'll adjust the somewhat unrealistic expectations that some people ha- might have had about a star, there certainly a star was a, government. There was an angry reaction, reaction from some people in, 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 in Irish nationalism, Cormac. I mean, there's always been, there was probably a necessary, arguably, although I think when you read back about the, the negotiations that, that led to the to the Belfast Agreement, um, this was a, a bit of a lastminute.com on this particular element of it. But there's a sort of creative ambiguity about it. It's in the, it's in the hands of the, the Secretary of State of the time and and he or she has to believe that there is some likely prospect of, of, of it being voted. But everything's a bit vague in the same way as a lot of the Irish rhetoric about this is very vague. People say, well, you know, Leo Varadkar expects to see it in his lifetime. How long does he expect to live? You know, does that mean 50 years? What does it mean? Um, the, the current Shared Ireland initiative is the, the don't scare the horses approach. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of don't scare the horses. So if Keir Starmer doesn't see it on his horizon, well, it depends where his horizon is, isn't it? Isn't it? So a lot of this is about uh, rhetorical positioning rather than anything concrete. Well, I mean, the, the, the relevant horizon, I suppose, for Keir Starmer would be the, the five-year term of, of a, a Labour government next time around. Yes. And I think, you know, certainly the way his comments were framed as ruling out a, a vote, perhaps he could have been more diplomatic in his language. But I think any British politician or any hopeful British Prime Minister in the next five years, being honest wouldn't foresee a situation where where they'll be calling a, a border poll or where the Secretary of State would believe that there is a clear majority for a for a united Ireland. So I, I don't think it's terribly surprising what he said in, in a lot of ways. You know, it's I, I don't think there are many people that would expect that such a poll to be successful in, in that time frame. I think the important message of what Starmer says um, can be expressed slightly differently as well, as we've already done. It's that, you know, when Tony Blair became Prime Minister, Northern Ireland was a priority for him. He saw the chance of achieving something extraordinary there and he went about it with very considerable energy. It was, he, he, he spent a huge amount of time uh, on Northern Ireland, spent a huge amount of time working that, both with the peace facilitators like George Mitchell and also with the, 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 the government led by Bertie Hearn in Dublin. So it was a massive priority for him. It's not going to be a priority for Keir Starmer. I think that much is clear. But there's zero Labour presence in Northern Ireland as well. He's not exactly going looking for votes in nationalist well, communities. Well, well, you know? well yeah, that, and that has always been the case. That has always been part of the dynamic of this particularly this position. Just one last point on this, though, though Pat. I mean, reading his... Uh, reading some, there is always some, uh, some hope on the Irish nationalist side that Labour politicians in particular not just would, you know push for a referendum, but would to some extent be on the side or even persuaders for the cause of Irish unity, as some people like Jeremy Corbyn, you mentioned, have been in the past. But there's a further dynamic in this. I think Starmer was very much laying down a marker that he is a unionist politician, that he that he defends the union. And of course, that is immediately extremely important for Labour. They just won uh, a by-election in Scotland yesterday. So probably in, when it comes to questions of unionism, Scotland comes first and Northern Ireland is the tail that's not going to wag that dog. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's always an element of wishful thinking about this in nationalism, you know, that, uh, you know, that that a British prime minister, a Labour prime minister is going to act as, a, act, as you say, as a, as a persuader. But like, maybe if Jeremy Corbyn had become prime minister, that might have been the case. But I don't think there's any real prospect of it now. I think the key insight is to realise for an awful lot of British politicians, and Starmer seems to be not a typical uh, in this regard, that Northern Ireland does not register very highly on their level of importance. It's clearly, you know, so far down Rishi Sunak's 
order of priorities at the moment so as to uh, so as to barely register and anyway i think that if and when a border poll comes you know maybe if it does come sometime i know my friend brendan o'leary reckons sometime in the early 2030s that that would be a a matter you know the crucible of debate would be in northern ireland on that and 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 in parallel in the south it's not going to be in the uk and what a british prime minister says doesn't say about it beyond calling it in the first place i'm not sure it matter an awful lot in the north Right, we'll leave it there. Um, every week on this Friday wrap, we ask our contributors to pick an article from the Irish Times this week that they found particularly interesting, or indeed a subject. Cormac. Um, yeah, I'm, I was looking at the, the the ongoing dumpster fire that is US politics. Martin Wall has been has been covering the the situation. Has seen the the Republican Speaker of the House of Representatives ousted uh, with the help of rebels in his own party for the first time since that the US House of Representatives was established in 1789. And this is the first time this has happened. Fairly historic stuff, and, and now there is a, a race on to see who will who will succeed him. With with even Donald Trump being mentioned in that in that regard, I mean, you, which don't is, have, you don't actually have to be a member, sure. You, you don't know, have the House of Representatives. It's it's no. extraordinary with all of the the, the criminal and uh, civil actions against Donald Trump. Not to mention the the small matter of a, a twenty twenty four presidential run that that uh, that it, it's even been entertained that his name might be might be out there. But I mean, it, there, things have been moving on his front as well. There's a fraud case in, in New York at the moment where he has claimed the, the Attorney General there, uh, Letitia James, uh, was, was corrupt in bringing the case. She she hit back saying she she won't be bullied and the, that the, the Donald Trump show is over. I, I I don't think there's any chance of that anytime soon, though. In the next next few months, we'll be, we'll be seeing an awful lot of Donald and, Trump. And all, the, all these theatrics have real consequences. I mean, uh, the prospect of a shutdown, which is what led, the, the, the agreement over not having a shutdown last weekend is what led to this rebellion and ultimately led to the end of Kevin McCarthy. There's another shutdown scheduled in 40 days' time. And in the meantime, the agreement that was brokered with Joe Biden last weekend doesn't allow for any support to Ukraine over but the next is, while. This is the international implications of what can happen in what is still the country that is supposedly the, the leader of the, the free world. Um, you know, So it's the, the, the mess that is politics over there does reverberate around the world. Um, I was reading a piece in Thursday's opinion pages by Finn McRedmond. I'm kind of slightly nervous sticking my toe into this, but Finn was highly critical of the proposal. Be unafraid, Hugh. Be unafraid. Okay, forward into the breach. Nothing can go wrong. Finn was very critical of a proposal which was launched or publicly presented this week um, to uh, to establish a national museum of women uh, in Ireland, and there were some very very well known people involved in that. It's seems to be going ahead or it seems to have the backing of of the government. Finn's point of view on this is that uh, women are 50% of the population or even 50.01% of the population and they should be adequately represented in the museums and the art galleries and all the other institutions of the state without having some, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, sort of ghetto where they're, where, they're, where they're presented and that it sort of disrespects them in the same way as the idea of fiction prizes for women or other kinds of segregation for women. Women deserve equal treatment in all walks of life and that doesn't include segregating them. Uh, I, I, I hear complete silence from YouTube people on this, so I'm going to take that you don't have any uh, any opinions on that. Um, Pat, what have you been reading? I think I might have to have you cancelled, Hugh. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I note Cormac's pain to the madness of American politics and, uh, and I raise him the Conservative Party conference. <laughs> I was following Mark Paul's uh, report uh, in our paper 
uh, all week. And uh, I, I mean, parts of it, I watched some of the speeches, parts of it, you know, I found by turns hilarious, but also slightly horrifying uh, referring particularly to the speeches by Suella Braverman. I saw uh, footage of Pretty Patel dancing with Nigel Farage. Yes, one scene not never a, forgotten. I tried to scrape my eyeballs. Not indeed, yeah. not an image, not yeah. an image one wants to, one wants to savour with. Uh, I, I saw Penny Mordaunt's stand up and fight speech. Anybody who and hasn't seen that should just Google it straight away. Should it's, do it. It's absolutely yeah. astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it is truly uh, astonishing. And it's very clear, you know, that in the expectation, and I think I've always thought actually that Rishi Sunak's job is to manage the defeat of the Conservative Party at the next election and 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 try and moderate the extent of that defeat so that it is not out of power for a generation. And he's got his work cut out to do that. Um, but if you accept that that's his job, then it's very clear that there is a leadership contest in the Conservative Party after the next election. And it seems to me that this week's party conference was mostly about that. And you look at the contenders, you know, Suella Braverman, Kemi Badnock, Pretty Patel, Penny Mordaunt, Liz Truss, anyone, maybe the return of Boris Johnson. And you really think, you know, British politics is not going to get any less amusing, but it really is not going to get any better for the people. I was of, saying on uh, Wednesday's UK, podcast, Pat, that I was listening to another politics podcast that included that uh, in, uh, it's a two-hander with a former Tory politician and a well-known Labour spin doctor. Um, and but there's about they four were, of those, isn't there? Yeah. Um, they were suggesting that the Tory party needs to go right down the rabbit hole to the dark places in the same way as it did in 1997 up until 2005 and thereabouts before it can recover its its sanity and its ability to kind of possibly win a majority, do you think? I think the danger, and you see it in the Republican Party at the moment, is that you go down that rabbit hole and you might never get out of it, frankly. And um, I think in a two-party system like that, it is better for both parties to be reasonably sensible rather than for one of them to be completely bonkers. But that's what we're seeing, I think, with the Tory party at the moment. That's very interesting. We might come back to a discussion. I, I feel in my bones it's time for a discussion of first past the post versus proportional representation. We haven't done it in a while, but we'll do that in a future it, podcast. If we have any listeners left Listen, we, they, they, will come, they will come flocking for that, um, I guarantee you, Pat. We will leave it there, though, for today. Thanks very much to Pat and to Cormac, to our producer Declan Conlon and our engineer JJ Vernon. We are going to be back very soon indeed. But until then, have an absolutely gorgeous weekend.